I think I've got this. I think I'll be all right. Kiwis open the run sheet. <laughs> yeah, it's in Safari. Safari. Next one. Blue, blue one. I don't like Safari. All right, there you go. Okay, here we go. All right. Hang on, I'm tangled here. Oh, fuck. <laughs> now I can hear your echo. Content catch up. Friends and enemies, welcome to episode 20 of the content catch up. Barks in the flesh. Jules in the flesh, yes, I'm here right next to you, side by side. Stick Just feel, feel more of a team, don't we? Yeah, it's also easier for me to punch you in the face if you say anything dumb. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm recording it, so if that happens, uh, enjoy it, folk, folks. Oh! All right. Um, <laughs> no, this week um, you reached out to a person you've worked with and I virtually met him, Luke Mason. The one, the only. If you Pioneer. If, pioneer. Yeah. He didn't like that, but... We liked it. We I liked, liked it. it. <laughs> We're going to stick with it. Um, yeah, if you don't know Luke, he's um, we, we interview him a bit better in, in the actual show, but... He's one of the originals in the sports digi landscape in um, Australia, particularly within the AFL, and he's he's done a whole shitload of work. Yep. I don't think we need to dwell on it too much, Barks. I think we should just get straight into it. Let's let the talking do the talking, if you will. Well done. Anyway. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode Pretty special episode today, Jules. As you can see, we're obviously together in person, mm. but even better, we are joined by the wonderful Luke Mason. Welcome, Luke. How are you going? Thunderous applause. Great to um, great to join you on this very illustrious podcast. It's um, you can see the traction it's been gaining week to week. So, honour and a privilege to join you. Now, Luke already deserves a medal because Barks and I have been fucking around with the audio and video of this for the last half an hour. We're half an hour late. Yeah. So, Luke, you're already our, like, favourite visitor. Visitor? Ho- guest. Guest. Well, in an ideal world, we'll actually have Luke with us physically. So one step at a time, don't get Yeah, it. that's just- true. Hey, actually, do you mind just driving down in? Yeah, yeah. I'm only, only- <laughs> God, it's the greatest, so, yeah. <laughs> Easy. Now, Luke, before we get any further... Um, I just want to give everyone a bit of a background as to who you are because uh, for many people who don't Luke, you should. He's one of the pioneers in the digital space. That was my line. Yeah, well, I took it. But anyway, Luke started off at Collingwood, I reckon about 10, 11 years ago. Was that, would that be about right? Yeah, yeah. Um, scarily enough, that's correct. Yeah, 2011. Yes. When that happened, Luke would have been second or third in line to get the keys at Collingwood to digital. So when you think about it, it's from people like Luke that our job here exists today. Well, so he literally paved the way. He did pave the way. Like get down on his knees, laid some pavers. Okay. Um, it's a pretty scary. But from there, gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> from there, took a bit of a break. Went into the Melbourne Renegades, did some cricket, went to the AFL, did some casual work, then had the the biggest one of them all uh, in my art, worked the International T20 Women's World Cup. Huge. Yeah, huge, huge. And then um, a little spell at the Preston Bullands, um, which we only know because it popped up in our Facebook <laughs> as Luke Mason has been at as an admin. So... Then a bit more at the Renegades and finally at the AFL. Yeah, it's been a, been a long and winding 
journey, Jules. You put it pretty well. Um, yeah, so basically um, there's been a few different things, particularly in the last couple of years, which are probably more um, contract-based and casual roles, um, which is, I guess, a bit of a deliberate approach because going back some some way now, I probably I started off full-time at Collingwood, in, as you are saying, um, nearly 10 years ago at the end of 2011. Um, prior to that, I'd probably started getting involved there as far back as probably five or six years earlier um, through high school. There were a couple of great, great people there um, at the time. Clinton Bound, who when we talk about pioneers, these guys are real digital pioneers. Uh, Clinton Bound, who uh, went on to Carlton and Hawthorne, but he founded the, the Collingwood um, video channel um, amongst the Collingwood FC website, um, relaunched in about the mid-2000s, and Nick Hewlett, who's an amazing, amazing guy who looked after me so well. And then Jonathan Bernard, um, who was my manager when I began, they really um, did a lot of the groundwork and heavy lifting in the very, very early days of social. And I think tweets would have, you know, been effectively broken, broken English saying, um, you know, trying to use all the text message or SMS speaker back in the day to try and get a message across. Um, you might tweet once or twice a day if you're lucky. Um, so, yeah, I, I essentially I did a lot of stuff with the VFL component of the club from about 08 to 2011 and then um, at the end of 2011 an opportunity came up full time as uni was finishing and I think it was very much right place right time and I was able to start there uh, at that point and finish at the end of 2018 um, coming off the back of the grand final and I think from the best way to describe it would be in starting there were three of us in the team there was head of digital um, who had a heavy focus on the club TV show, which was on Fox Woody at the time, um, which is a really exciting venture. It's going back 20, 2012, 13, 14 that that ran. And we had the head of video as well. And then myself, who was a bit of a, I guess, a website and social all-rounder. Um, and by the end, there was 12 or so people um, in that team. A lot of the video had expanded. Um, there was a marketing component that had come in by then, EDMs, supporter comms, everything you could probably imagine. So it's been interesting watching that evolution and seeing it again uh, over the last couple of years. It's only got bigger despite COVID and I'm sure there's been a lot of clubs impacted by that in particular. But um, I think you can see it starting to hopefully build back up again and uh, I think everyone understands the importance of these roles more than ever. I think COVID probably shone a torch on that and, and you guys are living examples of it. <laughs> yeah it's really um it's really interesting that like you just gave us about 20 different segues to go on to the first part of our <laughs> chat but um just like the world we live in now and that is our day-to-day life that you experienced the beginning of it so i can't wait to dive into that um qu- uh, s- shortly but to get to know you a bit more as luke luke Mason, not just the pioneer of <laughs> our industry but uh, we like to do a quick one minute brief welcome to the one minute brief your time starts now Do you have a nickname or favourite nickname maybe? Oh, nothing too special. Michael, I reckon just, yeah, it sounds weird when you say your own nickname out loud. You sound like yeah, it does a bit, doesn't I'd it? say you predict them. Lukey Mace, um, Lukey Mace from some quarters. Um, there's, Nikki, there's three of us in the world. There's Nikki Dale, there's Stevie J and there's Lukey Mace. So. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. And that's our promo. <laughs> Well, Jules has appropriately titled this run, uh, run sheet a moment with uh, Meso, so we're sticking with that. That's good to me. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know, it sounds like you've had about 15 different job titles, but what is your current job title? 
Um, I'm currently social media manager at the AFL. Do you have a favourite bit of content you've worked on over your 30-year journey? It's a great question. <laughs> I reckon we should talk more about this stuff as a collective as an industry because there's so much good stuff that gets done but we move so quickly that we never get a chance to reflect on Yeah, you just move past the great stuff. Exactly. It moves so quickly. Um, I think the main one for me would be in 2018 um, for the big freeze at the G with Neil Danaher's Fight MND Foundation. Collingwood um, had a guy called Murray Swinton who reached out or someone close to him got in touch with a member of the club and, and put him in touch with everyone and his family. So he um, he was suffering from MND um, and quite sadly he would pass away later in the year. But um, it was a, um, a firefighter who came down with MND. He was also uh, a massive Collingwood supporter who created scrapbooks for the club um, since he was a kid in the 70s. And he and his family had a mutual contact at the club who managed to put him onto our media team at the start of 2018. And we filmed his story ahead of the big freeze at the G with Neil Danaher that year in 2018. And um, filming Murray's story in the boardroom up at the Glasshouse was, I think, the most one of the most powerful things I've been able to bear witness to and experience because the way he told his story, despite the physical duress he was under and obviously the emotional anguish of it was amazing and to have his two sons and his beautiful wife Tracy there um, in the room and they were all quite emotional as he told his story both about his situation and his life for the club. Um, I think there were about three of us working on that one from the digital team at that point in time and pretty quickly you realise it wasn't going to be the run of the mill sort of discussion. Mm. Um, you know, you can still see this, I guess, the softness of his eyes as he described his, his situation, but his love for Collingwood and how, um, regardless of his situation, he still had something to look forward to with watching the Pies every week. And this was filmed about a week before round one of that year and Collingwood had missed the finals for four years in a row. Um, the last question we put to him was, you know, is there anything anything you'd say to the current playing group of today? And his line was something like, um, it was pretty it was pretty poignant. It was do the best you can while you can. Good luck for the year, boys. I hope you win it. Um, and coming from, I think, 13th on the ladder, by mid-season, Collingwood was well and truly in the hunt, um, even though it probably wasn't being discussed broadly at the time. I think there was a real sense there was something building and they were able to get Murray into the rooms on the um, pre-match before the big freeze against Melbourne on Queen's birthday and um, Nathan Buckley and Jeff Walsh and Nick Maxwell organised for him to be there with his family. Um, in his in his wheelchair with his Freeze M and D beanie on, um, and he spoke softly and directly to Bucks in the playing group, and you could hear a pin drop. Um, you could see the total focus from the guys on him and hanging off every word. And he presented Bucks his firefighting helmet for Bucks to go down the slide um, wearing on behalf of Murray, and that was just so special. You could feel a real charge of emotion and energy through the room as a result, and. I think from memory, Bucks might have written that quote from Murray at the end of that video on the whiteboard pre-game. I remember he was saying something like, good luck for you, boys. I hope you win it. Bucks's reference was, I think he means we can win the whole thing. He means to win the whole thing this year. Let's talk about it. We can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it, obviously the story got told after that, um, Collingwood came within a, a minute 50 of winning it and Murray was able to make it to the grand final which was really special and he came into the club a couple more times throughout the year with his family and um, was still there during grand final week at training which I know was really special um, and then he passed away within a week or so 
of the grand final. So that was, a, yeah, that's a, a long story to be told in that one, but that was really special. And I think that was a clear example of how things can transcend the game itself and the power of storytelling, but also the connection that that can form, I think, within a business and a group of people. And um, I no doubt that Murray's story struck a chord with everyone involved that year and added such an important layer to what Collingwood was able to do on and off the field that season. I guess that's like ultimately why we all get involved. Like the, the emotion of sport is so powerful regardless of whether it's something um, so meaningful like that or the emotion that um, fans have towards the game, the good, bad and the ugly. But that's what us, our jobs is about, like finding those stories, telling them, making sure that we keep um, pushing emotion to the top of everything that we do. Um, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, I think it, just to add on to that, it's probably a really good um, example of, sounds like a real eye-opening experience, Luke, but the, the type of stories that we are exposed to is working mm. in sport and um, it's so far away from sport in terms of what is sort of bigger than sport, but it's also very close to sport and you could, through um, what you sort of were explaining and it was really well said by you, but um, you could see how close and how important sport was to, to him. So, no, thanks for sharing that. No, it's really well said. No, absolutely. Um, it's a great one to talk about because it's, I think as you are saying, it does link to, you can say it's only a game and it is, but that's the beauty of it, the fact that this perspective sort of goes both ways. It is only a game. Yes. So it teaches you to relax about a result or an outcome in work, but you also realise how privileged you are and how special it is to do what you do. So I think it actually feeds both sides of it really well. And I'm sure you've both had your examples like that where you've come into contact with people who've really resonated with you and the clubs you're working at. Yeah. I often say that um, when people ask me sort of about like my job, about well, like what favourite thing working at a Carlton, it's uh, it's not the sport. Like it is the sport, but it's not the sport. It's what's away from the sport. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a really good example. Um mm-hmm. That was a real nice sort of question, but we'll quickly transition to um, the last one of this brief. Do you have a best non-work skill? What is Luke good at apart from <laughs> apart from work? Yeah, great question. Probably not a lot. Um, <laughs> We've had that answer a few times. Yeah. Well, hopefully um, if I was being ambitious, I would say um, honing my Russell Line impersonation. Oh, go on. <laughs> Please. You can't, you can't not give us it now. Oh, Jules, I don't know what you're alluding to there. This is really a <laughs> really podcast. And I don't know if I can come on and be like Ross Line if I can't, you know, work on my application, dedication, preparation. Yeah, it's really privileged to be on here, but I don't want to take this any further. So that's what sits. Oh, boy. That's brilliant. <laughs> Look, let's jump into the questioning now, Ross. Um <laughs> So you touched on it a bit before, um, speaking about your background. So we probably don't need to jump back into that. But I think one of the biggest questions I have for you, having been involved in the industry for so long, have you? How have you seen the industry as a whole and the landscape and the demand on uh, sports digi staff kind of change over the years? Yeah, um, it's a good subject. This one, I reckon. Jules, because it's it's pretty hard to quantify, and I think the answer there's a lot you can probably give in this answer, and everyone's experience is yeah. pretty unique. But I think at this, like I can only speak from my own experience, but with 
with as the world gradually onboarded itself onto social media, I think it became mainstream um, when I guess around the time of maybe 2011 to 13, perhaps when originally something might get put up on Twitter and it was seen as, you know, an area just to have a bit of a laugh. You had journalists who might have broken news, but it wasn't something said on Twitter wasn't seen as um, the be all and end all. Whereas now someone yeah. says something on there, look at the president of the United States yeah. and change the world off the back of Twitter. So that's probably the best example where it's become such a part of everyone's lives and such a mainstream part that the demand has only increased with that. And, you know, 10 years ago, Instagram was barely in its infancy. Facebook was still very much post the status and check in at wherever you were at a given time. And Twitter was only 140 characters and was still very primitive. So now you've got those that are all huge machines um, that drive so much commercially as well as uh, editorially. And then you've got like, TikToks come into the mix. YouTube yeah. is, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. There's so much to it. So that means that the demand, I think, on everyone increases. Um, and then after that, I think there was a bit of, if you look at footy, there was probably a bit of an arms race in a sense. Um, <laughs> when it came to digital and it was really, I think it was really exciting in the sort of early to mid part of the last decade where everyone was, I think, producing great work across clubs and really challenging each other and inspiring each other to do great things. Um, and probably from my point of view, I was one who was more, do more, more, more. Um, and probably learnt in recent times that um, more, is, more is sometimes less in terms yeah. of just churning things out for the sake of it the purpose behind it gets lost. And, um, you know, if you're doing things purely just to keep ticking a box, you're wasting your time. That's probably pretty obvious, but it probably took me a little while to balance my own sense of what the demand should be. Um, I think it is a, definitely, definitely is a challenging job. So when you see the comments saying, is the intern run the account today or things along, mm. along those lines, it might be a kid fresh out of uni um, that, that gets chipped at in a, in a comment. It's nowhere, it's nowhere near like that. It's a real skill set. Um, yeah. Hands are real and the pressures can come from all sorts of, all sorts of angles inside mm. and outside of business. So um, I think it's great to see these roles get more respect as time goes by. Um, and podcasts like this are really good too because they shine the torch on what these jobs are really like and, um, you know, take people behind the curtain of the realities of what you both do day to day, a lot of people in the industry and, um, that's got to help. That can only help more people who are coming through doing journalism or media degrees right now and, and trying to find their way in the industry. Oh, for sure. And like nowhere else would a first, like in your first job, would you be, you have your work exposed to so many people mm. and so many violent people as well, like, um, and have so much out of your control as well. Like you could be producing the best work and if your team's not, delivering on the field, you're going to cop yeah. it regardless. Oh, so, hundred percent. And yeah, you are at the mercy of the on-field. Just <laughs> yeah. great at a club, um, but there's still things you can control around it. But yeah, ultimately you could be, you could have the best laid plans of all time. But if the team um, has a shopper on the weekend, you're going to have to put it all on ice for another seven days or it may never see the light of day. It'd be a great segment one day to see, all the best work that was done. Cutting room floor. No, it never got used. Brownlow graphics, um, poetry, graphics, true. all that stuff. Trade deals. Trade deals, yeah, it never went through. Yeah. That'd be like a, a gallery almost to Acme. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. <laughs> Do it. It's happening. 
I think it's hilarious how going back to your point about Twitter, Luke, like 20, whatever many years ago, um, you Collingwood, I'm going to, I'm going to start using this platform called Twitter. I might, might use it for whatever purposes. 20 years down the track, the president of America is that, like, that's the way he, yeah. He, like imagine telling someone that, oh, he's going to put together like 120 characters and that's probably how he's going to communicate with all of us. It's just, it happens so quickly. I just imagine some of those initial discussions from, from like the, the first, two or three people to do social media at a club trying to convince the CEO <laughs> going like, hey, we're going to stop print. Why? We've got this new thing called Twitter and we can communicate to all our fans wherever they are, whatever time, but we can only use 140 characters. Yeah. And then just going, what the, like, why the fuck are we doing that? <laughs> I think it'd be so easily seen as like a bit of a joke. Like you show him the little blue bird yeah. of like <laughs> tweeting things out. Like what is this tweet? What Twitter? Like what is that? Um, Imagine trying to explain TikTok. Yeah. To those guys. <laughs> it's not yeah, hilarious. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. Um, so that's sort of the, Jules touched on the beginning, but we'll go to the sort of the middle part of um, this story, we'll call it. Um, so you were at Collingwood for a long time. I guess you were obviously felt like part of the furniture there, but then you made the decision to sort of step away from that. Um, move away something has been such a huge part of your life. Um, maybe talk to us a bit about that decision and what brought it on. Yeah, it was a really, really hard thing to do, Michael. Um, probably a whole range of factors came into it in the end, but... If I'm being if I'm being honest, I probably just knew that it was time for something different. And the longer I stayed there, the harder it was getting me to leave. Um, because mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was like an extra family really, and an environment I'd grown up grown up in in many ways. So um, the longer I stayed, the harder it was going to be. So I've reached a point where a few things lined up in my favour. I had a bit of time up my sleeve um, through long service leave and. Um, you know, I just felt like it was probably just the right time. A whole lot of things came together to say, if I if I didn't make the move now, it's just going to get harder down the track. So, end of twenty eighteen, um, decided to to make that call. Ideally, take a bit of time off over summer with that long service leave and jump in the next thing. Um, so yeah, a really challenging decision because you um, you're also walking away from a lifestyle with a job like this and a way of life where you you're constantly connected. Um, and you're constantly riding the roller coaster of a story um, internally with the club and, and all the different people in there. So, you know, all those connections, you never lose those connections. You're still, um, you're still handing back the keys to something that, that you really enjoy. So, what, yeah, definitely wasn't an easy decision, but definitely the right one. It was the best way to grow. Um, and then fortunately I had another you know, seven or eight months to, to bide my timing. I picked up glandular fever afterwards so it wasn't in the end it probably worked out really for the best it just gave a lot of time to to do some things i hadn't done before just to to rest and get back to full health and um get set to dive into the next chapter so yeah things all all things do happen for a reason and um very grateful with the way it played out in the end i think like a follow-up a question to that would you have done it differently if you had the second chance? No, no, to be honest, I wouldn't. Um, and I had, I was fortunate there were a few things in my favour which allowed me to have that yeah. time and not, um, and not, I guess, have to fret too much about diving straight into the next thing. So I was very fortunate. Uh, no, to answer the question, Jules, I wouldn't. Uh, obviously, mm. it's nice to know things in advance so then you can get your head around it. But 
no, that aside, I wouldn't change it because I think that's helped. That period helped me understand a bit more about who I am and what I wanted to do professionally and um, in, a, in a life sense as well, things that I valued and you know, health is obviously one part of that. So, no, it, I wouldn't change it for the world. Even if things are hard at the time, it's still worth it. One of the things where you were saying, like, it, it gets harder and harder to leave. How do you keep pushing yourself within the same boundaries if you don't get yourself out? Oh, mm. Realise, look at it from the, from above, see what you've actually been doing for the last 10 years and say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. I don't want to be writing tweets every day, but I really like the planning of this. How do I do that but do it somewhere else? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just yeah, just to echo that point, it's so true. You've got to... I probably maxed out in my role a bit there too. Um, in terms mm-hmm. of growth and development, um, in that role I was probably going to be doing similar again the next year, which was great, but was I growing? Probably not. So the time had definitely come and it's probably coming with logic over emotion perhaps. Um, yeah. I use that part of my brain rather than the emotional one in the end. So, yeah, it's it's just so important to keep challenging yourself and doing new things. It's not to say you can't pin the one job or place for decades if that works for you and you're growing and you know the role keeps evolving with you but purely in my case it was time time to do something different and yeah loved every second there love all the people there and yeah we could probably be here for hours <laughs> if i was end up singing the praises of some of the um, of the people in the place and, and some of the, the madness of the stories that go on so loved every second it certainly has shaped me for the next next part of my life and stay forever because part of the reason was, uh, my understanding, Luke, I don't know if you want to talk about it, was a bit of burnout, wasn't it? Are we able to, should we touch on that a bit yeah. or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I was, yeah, from, to be honest, Michael, yeah, I was, I was probably a bit burnt out. And that's, again, that's something that I've um, brought on myself, really. Um, it was a great learning thing in the end. Um, I was someone who probably struggled to switch off around that time and to mm. balance, you know, you talk about balancing your identity through living your life through work versus um, work being one part of your life. I definitely let um, work consume me more than way more than I should have. So it just meant that I wasn't great at turning my mind off and um, stepping away at the right times. I know these jobs do dictate that you've got to be online across weekends and out of hours Mm -hmm. and that's fine. Um, But just having those things in place to know when it's time to walk away or, um, time to log off for the day. That was something that I struggled with, certainly, and that's that certainly just came from me in the end. And also, I think the value of knowing what to say no to or yes, but um, that was something that I, I learned through that period of time where, you, you know, you want to please people and do the right thing, so you say yes and you, you try and do the best thing, but often that means you might be overloading yourself or you're not going to do that job as well as that person requires. So that was a great experience, really, in the end. That was something I was able to reflect on. Um, in that period of time um, when I was a bit crook and was able to think, yeah, where, wherever things go next, just keep the balance um, and remember to look after other people in the process too. So if I had the chance to deal with people, make sure I could impart some of those lessons of not, um, not burning yourself or cooking yourself by doing too much in too short a space of time. Um, but it's one thing to say, it's another thing to actually do it. So the most important thing is yeah. actually walking that talk. 
It's so it's so difficult to do it, and I love. I think a big part of what you just said is it, it's okay. It's fine to say no and learn to say no for the people that are out there that want to get in this industry or are in, are in this industry. But I guess a quick one, continue on this path with burning out. It's such a big part of it, and some of the listeners might not know what that starts to feel like. Are there any like early signs of feeling like okay, this is getting ahead of me, or like? Um, I need to sort of dial it back a bit to not get to that point of totally burning out, if that makes sense. It might be a bit of a difficult one no, to answer. No, that's a great question. I reckon the one for me that was most pronounced, I reckon, was memory. Um, I reckon at, I was fine with memory up until like from the age of 6 to 21. I can still tell you what I might have done on a given day. Was not quite as strong as that, but pretty solid. But <laughs> after that, a lot of it just got like a blur of colour and noise. And I think that was that's probably the same for a lot of people in a job. But I just found that little things I'd start to not forget, but it just wouldn't be as instinctive as it should have been. And this is very short-term stuff. And I know people can say that that, that happens to everyone. It's probably just the ageing process um, doing its thing. But you know when something doesn't feel quite natural to you. Um, and that was that was probably one of them where it's like, oh, that that doesn't feel quite right. I normally think I'm a bit sharper on that sort of thing than what I might be right now. That was probably one of the main ones. And trying That's to think about specifics, it's probably just being able to check in with yourself and know that it's time to have a bit of just have a breather. It's literally walk away from your computer for five minutes, grab a drink, get outside. You've been outside yeah. today, yes or no? Yeah. Um, and the main thing too, just get like. This is life stuff, but just get your sleeping consistent where you can eat consistently, exercise consistently. I think having that in a good network of family and friends around you just to turn your brain off off your job, doesn't matter whether it's digital or otherwise, that was probably part of what I what I learned. Value that part of your life and make sure you do you do balance and then time manage your time really well too. And that's something I've always got to be mindful of, managing time efficiently. Um, and yeah, not not letting things overcommit or, or drag out. I think one of the other warning signs you, you start to see is that you become really like agitated. Mm. Like your phone will go off and it, it could be your friend, it could be your family, it could be like... A- agitated like, by your colleagues. Yeah, your colleagues, yeah, right. Like it could be anything. And you just look at your phone and you're like, I don't have the energy to deal with this. And it could just be like a, a small message saying, yeah. oh, what's going on? Do you want to go do something? Do and you're just like, I've spoken to people all day today. Yeah. My phone goes off nine times out of ten. Yeah. I, I just don't want to do it. No, it's great. That, and that memory point is crazy. Like it's so – I think that's a really good tip because you might – like you're used to be, so being so used to being organised and knowing what's going on and then you think back to, wait a minute, I missed that where I – normally throughout my whole career yeah. I wouldn't have missed that um, yeah no, that's that's a really important one Content catch up. let's pick it up from where we were Luke and everyone listening at home we had a small intermission because as you know Barks and I are tight asses and we don't pay for Zoom I just like reminding people how cheap we are but anyway so after you, you break, you, you, you kind of recovered a little bit. Um, hopefully, it, I mean, it sounds like you've gotten over your burnout a little bit more and, and le- learnt to, to watch for the warning signs for that. Um, did you always think you were going to get back into digi sports and, 
and pick up where you left off almost? Uh, I think I did, yeah. I, I knew that was always something that I love sport. Um, I love digital. It's a perfect, perfect, perfect match and very grateful to really to be living in a time like this where there are roles that match that level of interest and skill. Um, when 20 years earlier, God knows what half of us would have been doing. <laughs> you know, will we have been able to live the dreams we have and experience what we have? Probably not, or in a very different way to what we have. So, yeah, that was always definitely part of it. I did notice too, um, probably a bit of a trend through the football industry in my last 12 or 18 months there, that there were quite a few more people who were being hired in senior roles who had non-footy experience as well as footy experience. And just thought that was quite interesting to see that there were different perspectives coming in and people who had broader broader perspectives, I guess, on working life than just football or even just sport. Um, so that was something that definitely informed my decision. Yeah, funnily enough, I probably haven't I haven't had a, um, a, a full time sort of role outside of sport at, to this point in time, um, but I was able to get a little bit of experience in that with some freelancing freelancing sort of work through COVID, which is which was really good. Um, but yeah, I think to answer the original question, to get back into sport was always always something I was looking to do. Don't, don't look at it as though you've never had any experience in anything else. You're a specialist now, um, which is what everybody wants in the industry. But you, from from going to AFL and going from something so traditional um, as as the AFL and I suppose Collingwood as well, um, we, we all work for traditional style clubs here, um, so there's no shame in that. How did you go then adjusting to the to the world of the Big Bash, um, which is a completely different audience and, and working for the Melbourne Renegades and did you have to change your content approach a hell of a lot when you did that? Um, I've, I reckon I reckon I did, Jules, a little bit. Um, you know, you come in, you might come in with preconceived ideas to a role pretty quickly. You, you realise that there are some things you couldn't have um, anticipated or planned for, which is part of the exciting part, and that's one of the best things about the Melbourne Renegades. And um, to be honest, and I'm not just saying this, um, I've said it to you off air as well, like I was able to... I was very fortunate to come in and work there off the back of the platform that you developed in your time at the Renegades and the style of voice, um, the tone and just the way it interacts with people, the way that you're able to separate the Renegades online accounts and social accounts from even the rest of the Big Bash, let alone other sports, was so profound and that made my life very easy coming into that role. Um, The tone was created and... um, our manager there, both men, both you and I know quite well. Simon Conway was um, outstanding in really fostering that and encouraging that. Um, so, yeah, it was very different because cricket's a different sport. Big Bash is such a different competition as well. And as you said about the tradition, Big Bash clubs aren't weighed down. In a, in term, weighed down is probably the wrong term, but they're not impacted by tradition and by the level of generational expectations that, the traditional Australian football clubs have or other sporting clubs have. It's new, it's targeted at a younger audience. It encourages and forces you to think differently and, and act differently in your job, which is great. Um, that's across both the WBBL and the BBL. And Yeah, I really loved the experience of working on both. And um, unfortunately, the Renegades, I think, won the wooden spoon. In the two um, BBL years that I worked there, they made finals in one of the WBBL seasons. But... Yeah, from a BBL point of view, it 
that the fact that the gates, and this is again a tribute to you, Jules, and, and to Simon Conway, were able to build Chris Gergley as well, the head of marketing for a long time, able to build a brand and voice that was able to separate itself from on field results and transcend whatever happened. That made life so much easier in the tough times because fans expected and anticipated something different and quirky and funny and self deprecating. <laughs> um, and a little bit edgy from the Renegades accounts regardless. So it meant we were losing, but we could almost laugh with a little bit of dark comedy about ourselves that, geez, we are struggling, we are struggling yeah. today, but let's play Sandstorm again. <laughs> quick, <laughs> quick one for both of you. So what I gather from there is the cricket landscape, you can you can have a bit more freedom to get a bit more cheek and tone into your voice. Do you know, do you know why that is or...? How how what was the decision to have a bit of cheek behind the Renegades personality? Maybe that's one for you, modules, but both of you. Um, oh, this isn't an interview for me, but no, it's well, interesting I mean, for the listeners. My 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 this thing. Was, <laughs> my thing was, um, I love cricket and big big fan of it, but I don't know cricket on a level that a, a traditional cricket fan would not. Okay, so to me, my strength wasn't speaking to for the actual play itself because I had, well, I could see when it was a big hit or a, a nice catch or a good wicket. I um, I didn't know like the terms or anything like that. I, didn't, I still couldn't tell you a cover drive from a, um, I could tell you a pull shot actually, but I can't tell you what a cover drive is. I have zero idea what yeah. these terms are, Luke. I, I don't know anything about cricket. So what what you're saying about your personality is more for the me's of the world. You, well, sort of. And Luke, maybe you can jump in here as well, but. Big Bash isn't for your traditional um, cricket audience. It's for families and it's for younger kids and it's it's about being fun, yeah. right? And as soon, like, take away the performance. And, again, I think that's another thing is that people aren't tied up in the emotion of it as much. It's a, it's a seasonal sport where people come, it's summer, they can bring the whole family, they know it's going to be a safe environment. Um, they don't care whether they go home with the Renegades winning or Renegades losing as long as they're entertained and they've had a good night. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, and I think that should flow over into your social media as well, like recognizing shit performance, whatever. But as long as they put on a show, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, would you agree, Luke? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a large part of the case. And I know the club would want to um, do things a bit differently there. They'd want to. I think the one of the main goals in a longer term sense, I'm guessing, would be to have that generational support where it's the passion's felt as much as it is from um, the the fans themselves towards their BBL club as they are towards their AFL club in terms of their care for win or loss. But I think on the whole, you're absolutely right, Jules. Um, it is about, in some senses, entertainment with the side of cricket yeah. as well as cricket the side of entertainment. They have they complement each other really well. And I think when the big bash is done well, it's as good, as good a day as you'll have at any sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Renegades match days at Marvel were great fun as well, even when the team was struggling on the field. You just didn't know what you were going to get. And I think one of the great jobs in our roles where you were able to, were able to really highlight and hero some of the characters within the team. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of those, some of those nicknames that you come up with, Jules, really stuck over a period of time with President Nabi and yeah. um, Kane Richardson being, being about the best hair and the best beard in the BBL. Just little... Finding the different the point of difference for each player was huge, and it was able to really make them relatable, perhaps to an audience that didn't know much about them otherwise. And I think it's something that we can do across any sport. Really learn from that and hero the guys in almost a cartoon or superhero kind of way. I think that's a that's a really um, 
it's it's something that I think is happening more. Like you're, you're seeing kids these days not so much support a whole club, but they'll support an athlete. Almost the character. The character, like LeBron yeah. James, wherever he goes, he's going to have supporters regardless of whether he's playing for the Lakers, the Heat. Um, I agree. And same with um, who's someone that's moved recently, like Joe Danaher. Um, he's going to have this generation of kids that just – will follow him yeah. wherever he goes. And like luckily Cripper is staying at Carlton, but if he were to go to... Is that breaking news on content? Oh, breaking news, <laughs> it's broken. Um, but like if he were to go to another team, the same thing, right? Like you'd have all these kids that just love watching this person play. Yeah. So let's... These are the heroes. The team is not the hero. The team is just like a platform for them. Um, so I think like that's a lot of credit as well to we were given a lot of freedom... Um, from Simon, number one, shout out. And number two, Chris Gurgley, who was a master of just like saying, nah, fuck it, let's do it. Yeah, I love that. Um, you, you could have all the great ideas in the world, but you got to be allowed to do that. That's yeah. just the realistic approach of having someone to allow you to do it. So true. Shouts both of your team. <laughs> shout out. Um, let's. I was just about to be there. So sorry, sorry, just quickly from a football and AFL point of view, I think it, it does apply there and is more and more. Mm. Um, and we go on that probably five or six years ago, people like Gary Ablett Jr. and Lance Franklin would have had Facebook and Instagram followings that completely outsized club ones. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's, that might still be the case in, for some of them now. I'm sure Dustin Martin would be one in that category. So it does go, go to show that there's such interest in these huge personalities. And I think regardless of, how they want to use their social media where at clubs or competitions can really, um, can really use that to everyone's benefit just to grow the game um, and to celebrate the good. People, people will love Ablett whether he goes to Gold Coast or Geelong. Yeah. That's I don't right. think people, people turn their backs on Buddy because he just went to Sydney. Um, they still want to watch the biggest show in town. So, yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, I think, across all sport. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, let's finish up on, well, we'll stick in the world of cricket and as described by Julian as the pinnacle of, well, I don't know if you called it Luke's career, but, um, international <laughs> T20. I'm um, not going to tell something <laughs> like it's the pinnacle of his career. I just think it's a cool event. Yeah. No. Um, so not many of us have sort of worked in an international event like, um, yourself with the women's international T20 final. So talk to us about it. I myself aren't massively into cricket, but what was the experience like? Yeah, it was a really cool, really cool and different experience because um, it was a group that was formed purely to help drive, create, drive and um, see through the process of the event. So once those once those two World Cups, this is before COVID, once those two World Cups were run and won, the job is over, the organisation, you know, ceases in its role. So I was only there for, you know, a handful of weeks in a contractor role around tournament itself it was, it was great to see the focus that um that all these people who'd worked on it for 18 months two and a half years had to really deliver something special for the australian public um and particularly with the women's world cup as well which is the one that ended up going ahead in australia there was the big campaign about filling the g and getting the biggest yeah. crowd to an international women's sporting event so that was a real driver i think for everyone and a real a real motivator um, and it was a really good group of people to work with too, super motivated, um, whether it's from marketing or comms or um, web content, really motivated, work really well together as a team and um, see the sense of pride in them when they could see the different crowd results that were really positive and the ticket sales for the match of the G. And 
for the match itself, that was really the events as much as the match. It was really special. It was obviously Katy Perry there and 86K from memory inside the MCG. And um, it was quite unique in a way because that was a Sunday night. Then by Friday the 13th, so five days later, the Grand Prix was cancelled and Melbourne went into shutdown. Um, That was, it was quite surreal to think about. There was a little bit of talk about COVID in the lead up impacting this, but there was nothing that was actually saying, oh, we're going to have to reconsider anything. It was, oh, be mindful this thing exists, but I think we'll be fine. There were people, you know, queued up outside the G for miles. I reckon there was might have been an issue or two with one of the gates with ticketing just for, you know, half an hour. So there were quite, quite large queues outside. And you think of that compared to what we saw at the Grand Prix days later um, and then with every other sport and part walk of life, around the country in the world within hours of that it's a crazy thought and i'm really yeah really glad that it got it got underway and it, it took place as it did because it would have been you know such a such a shame for that not to have gone ahead given the work that went in and the build-up and what the end product was with australia winning in front of eighty-six thousand fans and Katy perry playing to a huge international audience um it's yeah it's pretty surreal to look back on actually so i was able to do a couple of days I had a very short-term contract after that, the Grand Prix. Um, very so short-term. to watch that, <laughs> yes, very, yes, about as short as a short-term contract you ever get. Um, and yeah, witnessing that one get um, get shut down was quite quite something, really. And to see that, um, I think it was Lewis Hamilton who spoke to the media on the Thursday and really seemed to put put on the agenda the fact that this thing might get get shut down was. It was jaw dropping, jaw dropping, really, at the time. Um, and yeah, just watching how all that played out. I remember driving home and tuning into SCN, and there was Waitley, Jerry Waitley was on there all day talking about, you know, this is Melbourne's experience with an international pandemic, and et cetera, et cetera. It's quite weird to think that that was the dawn of, I guess, the time that's led us to talking um, across screens right now. Yeah. And that was, that was just one small sliver of how sport was impacted. Man. Go from the I, I quote. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you go from the biggest um, ever attendance at a, a women's sporting event in the world to to then no sport yeah. whatsoever. Um, just with from a, I guess from a, a content perspective with the the international women's T20, um, was it different? Was there the more restrictions? Was there more freedom? Did you have a goal? Was it just all about um, building towards that crowd? Uh, look, it pr- probably was in the end when it came to the crowd. That was the main thing, driving attendance at all matches um, and making sure that the main final at the MCG was one where people were buying tickets in their thousands and we had a, a good number ready to go. But my role was more a bit of a support one in that one in different ways. It was from you know, digital marketing through to comms, et cetera. Yeah. So I sort of came in at the point of execution rather than the planning and strategy and you know, I kind of really just got to see how the wheels turned under the surface up close, which was great. Um, but yeah, most in terms of the content itself, there was an ICC content team that took care of the bulk of that. Our side of it was more the digital marketing side of things of getting the you know paid advertising out there to to fans through social media and um, EDMs and everything else to try and drive awareness and attendance. Um, so yeah, I remember it was a pretty tense night watching in the office when Australia was playing in the semi-final, it was rain affected and there was oh, yeah. you know, a point in time where 
the match mate, the Aussies might have had a pretty slow start from memory to the campaign. So there was a little bit of tension of like, it doesn't matter who makes it, we want it to be a great turnout, but Australia being in will <laughs> make life that bit easier to get crowds in. Um, so fortunately, uh, the Aussies got up there and there was a real sense of excitement and achievement for that group and felt really good for the guys and girls who'd worked on it for two-plus years to get to that point. Um, that's one of the best things. I'm sure you, you've both experienced that um, in your own roles where the team success is just awesome. Um, so when you're the team that you work on, the sporting team, succeeds, the sense of jubilation is there and shared by everyone. And you guys feel like you know what that's going to mean for you. Like the next week just opens up. Like to think you're, yeah, what tells me? Tells me. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a, well, little, heard a little chuckle from both men yeah, as like you said well. that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I feel very lucky to have had a small taste of that in 2018 because there are a couple of non-finals years previously at the Magpies, but that was. Awesome, and it's worth every second of any job you put in to have that that time. You don't, it's you know, talk before about not letting work be your identity and consume you, and how important that is. But it still is so satisfying. Um, you got nothing to do with the result on the field, but you know the work and effort. I'm sure you guys are exactly the same. You know the work and effort that are gone in by so many people through the whole club or the whole business. So that to then see it play out on that stage, so. Yeah, my favorite, two favourite memories from that period of time were winning in Fremantle um, in round 23 to make it into the top four yeah. in the last match of round 23. And I think it might have been Brody Mindshek for Collingwood or Josh Thomas. One of those guys kicked it, what felt like the sealer and then everyone falling into each other's arms on the side after that, thinking, thank God, we just made the top four. We do get two cracks at this. It's great. And then just seeing the looks on people's faces after Collingwood beat Richmond and the prelim when Mason Cox went to town, just to see <laughs> volunteers, um, head of fitness, footy officer, strategy manager, people in tears, physio. It's just like everyone is grabbing everyone and lifting each other off the ground in excitement and satisfaction. And also just the thrill of like not only we won, but we're into the grand final now, so we get the whole week yeah. to get to experience this together. Um, that, that was amazing. Um, that was amazing. And even, you know, being able to cover the grand final parade and I'll never forget turning from where it starts at the Treasury Building in, in Melbourne and how it turns onto from Spring Street on the Wellington Parade and to look down there and just see the massive people and the colours, the West Coast gold and blue and the colour of black and white balloons and streamers and jumpers and flags everywhere. And just that second you felt you float down, um, down Wellington Parade as the cars all go. Um, go along and the players meet the fans. You think this is this is honestly the best thing you could ever wish to be doing. Um, so, yeah, hope for both of you that that day isn't far away for Carlton. And it does it does turn quick. It does so, turn quick. Who's to say? Hopefully, whatever whatever takes place, that you guys get to taste that, and anyone does in the sport they're working in, because that was it's not the reason that you do your job, because you can't pin it, pin your success or otherwise to that. But, jeez. It's, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, and to, just to finish off, when I was saying to you about like the sense of being burnt out in the Collingwood, that was all, that was all me. Um, that was all me um, needing to learn my own lessons and, yeah. and grow as a person. The business was, was awesome. The people were amazing. I loved every second there, even when, when I probably was my own worst enemy at times in terms of hours or not, um, not being able to switch off. I wouldn't trade a moment of that experience for the world and, Love those people. Um, still like family, and it's the same with any any place 
you work with, you end up falling in love with the people and that's what keeps you there. So, no, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. It was a very special, special time in 2018 and fingers crossed that, that you guys get to experience that too and anyone else who's working in sport and digital gets to do that. You get a front row seat to some of the coolest stuff in the world. You, you think do. for a second, why the hell am I sitting here doing this? Like, why me? I shouldn't. Why am I sitting next to this guy to capture this sort of <laughs> We do miss this girl. Somewhat it's crazy. I'm um, sure you guys have got some surreal experiences you can talk to like that as well. Yeah, we do. But we, you're right. We do live a like a privileged sort of life. Like the demand is huge. The hours are shocking. Um, there's times where you want to kill each other. Um, but sometimes like the, the perks of, you know, what you get, what you get out of it, the people you meet is um, like I, I'd, worked in a few places barks you've worked in a few different places as well the the people you meet and the the kind of connection that you have on the back of that is second to none like because you spend too much time together basically yeah. but I, i'll just go back to as well like we talk like we talk about how real the burnout and the hours and etc cetera, etc cetera, but it's far better i'm sure we've all worked jobs where you don't feel invested it's far better yeah. than working in a job that you're not invested in like that is alone is a great feeling so that that's what i always try to remind myself you are you are checking your phone constantly for a reason i'll yeah. give you i'll give you that it's because you want something yeah maybe not always but you do want something to be popping up yeah. um luke i don't think we could could take up any more of your time but this has been a, a really i mean all right. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a really um it's been a really great chat um i think we, we've covered so many different bases and you speak so well about um, everything that you've been through and so openly. And I think that's, that's a really important thing for to people to realize, like it is not always glamour. It's not always, um, you just get to go to the footy and make really cool videos or write mm. really cool pieces and do cool interviews. Sometimes there is a grind and getting out is sometimes the best thing because it means you can come back in with a, a fresh perspective and, um, well, you've been you've been there from the start, and I'm sure you're going to be there for another fifteen to twenty years as whatever you want to do. So, um, thanks for your time today. Thanks for jumping on the show and having a chat, and look forward to seeing more of your work um, wherever it might be through the AFL at the moment. But um, I'm sure there'll be something else. Maybe the no. chief digital officer at Collingwood one day. You never know, <laughs> Collingwood. If you're listening, um, here's your sign to <laughs> sign on Luke Mason again. Uh, thank you, Jules, and thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's really it's awesome that you guys are doing this podcast because it does tell stories that resonate with people in the industry. Um, it's definitely a must-listen. I can't – I think there's a lot of people in a lot of these ones that seem to come out from a US point of view, but there's been none until this in Australia, and I think it's so great to give the Australian side of this a voice because as much as we all do um, look as an industry in, uh, internationally overseas to – the US and Europe in particular, there's so much great stuff being done in Australia. Mm. And that's in the AFL alone, let alone all the different sport over here. Some amazing stuff. And the fact you're able to give all these people and parts of the industry a voice is amazing. Um, you're right. We do work in the best, like the best jobs you could ever wish for. Yeah, I feel so grateful to have had the jobs that I've had and the experience that I've had. And, you know, meeting people like you guys and the kinship that you get through the rest of the industry. It's great to build those relationships and um, I think that says a lot about the types of people and the type of work we get to do. So, no, I'm looking forward to listening to the next episode after this and fingers crossed seeing you guys get to enjoy some of this, the um, the spoils of Carlton's future successes. No, nah, we appreciate it, Luke. And just to echo uh, Jules, 
before I do applaud your perspective on everything, like it, it does seem like even though you've been through some hard times with this industry, you do um, understand that now you've got to look after yourself and you, you know what to look for. So I'm sure the listeners would also appreciate that. So no, thank you. Thanks a lot, Luke. Thank you, guys. All right, Julian. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> we just did a ripper uh, intro, what a, intro to the guest. But anyway, we'll quickly, um, that was a fantastic chat with Luke. And again, yeah. can't can't thank him enough. His his insight, his perspective. I loved his, his perspective on yeah. the industry. And if, if I were to summarize, I'd, I'd say that reach out to people like him and he knows how to work in the industry. Yeah, we were saying in the intro that I forgot to record. <laughs> I think um, I just stole half you know, your lines. Uh, yeah, but like it's, it's a good point. Like we, we can can sit here and, and say that there's people who've worked in marketing or, or whatever um, yeah. and they have a better understanding of, you know, marketing content, whatever. But people like Luke who have been there since day one. Um, he knows. The they sh- know how shit. it works. Yeah, they know how it works. So reach out to them. Um, if you're listening to this and you don't know who Luke is, find a way to get in touch with him. He's got Twitter. He's got um, LinkedIn, I'm sure. Just drop him a message and, and or, pick his brain. Or if you can't find him, just ask us. Yeah, we know we'll where he lives. On. So. <laughs> That's a bit full on. <laughs> All right, Barks. Um, so I didn't have an egg of the week. I do though. Okay, let's, let's go let's straight go into, into it. it. Egg of the week. All right, I've got my egg of the week. I'm calling him, I'm not calling him anything, but West Coast Fever. For those that don't know, Netball Squad. Mm-hmm. So um, I was reading about this yesterday. I think this is a tweet from yesterday, but basically the, the game against the Melbourne Vixens had to be cancelled because the Vixens weren't allowed in the state. And if you're not allowed in the state, then you probably can't play. You can't but play a game. I'm egging them because their media sort of Here we go. position on this. They mm. they tweeted out this little thing saying, hi. So this is just announcing that they won't be playing the game this weekend or it's been cancelled. But I'll read it out. Hi, Green Army. We are devastated that Sunday's game has to be cancelled as the Melbourne Vixens have refused to travel to Perth for wow. our fixture at RSA Arena. And they haven't taken it down. They've copped a lot of shit on this, but That's I saw. Bold. But they were locked. They were they were locked out of the state. And to further egg them, Jules, mm. they weren't just locked out of the state. So they're not allowed to play this game. But Melbourne Vixens spent what I believe to be around a month interstate. I was going to say they've been in Queensland keep, or yeah, Sydney, yeah, to keep the conversation uh, com- competition afloat. So they're egging them, but they're also not <laughs> showing enough. I don't know. There's probably more layers to this, but that's my egg. Not enough empathy. Um, so these bloody Western Australians, man. You got an issue with them? Well, apart from the the guy who used to COVID test us at um, in the oh, hub, who, who like COVID, sh- he assaulted sh- us. Yeah, shrizzle stick to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> he actually cool little insight. He actually I don't know where to say this, but uh, he, <laughs> he got moved on. Yeah, he got reported. I think that's fine. That was um that was a crime. What he was doing, that was violent. I don't know if he enjoyed it, but it felt like he did. And, and I didn't get him, but people sadistic. Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, that's our egg of the week. Our joint egg of the week. A joint egg of the week. Let's go on to boss. Boss of the week. Boss of the week. Boss, 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 boss of the week. Boss of the week. I've got this one. Um, Good, because I don't have one. We're going to go to the NFL and I want to, I think, a, a very important thing, something more prevalent in our society these days, but we've seen the first um, NFL player come out as gay. Yes. While playing. So Carl Nassib from the that, yes. the now Las Vegas Raiders, I believe they are, um, formerly Oakland Raiders, 
um, has come out of gay and credit to him. I think it, it would probably be a lot of pressure um, and you've probably got to be ready to, to be oh, poster boy is the word, wrong term but like the – what's the word for it? Like well, the media are going to want to talk to you about it. You've got to yeah. be willing to be in the, the limelight for a little bit and I think it takes a hell of a lot of courage and to, to recognise that, you know, whenever – when anyone want to talk about the um, LGBTQI community, community yeah. um, they're going to lean on you, yeah. and I think it's 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 so good for what it's going to unlock for other players feeling comfortable coming out and feeling more comfortable in their skin, and especially men. I mean, we see it a lot in the um, amongst women that they're they're more open and, and more accepting, and I think it's it's been too long within the um, the male community that it, it hasn't come out. So, Carl, I think you're doing God's work. Yep. Well, probably not God's work if you ask the Catholics. But <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, but you're doing, you're doing something great that's going to change the game for a lot of um, young gay men, women. Yeah. Um, and you should be proud. Absolutely. Normalise it, talk about it, good boss. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, just I agree with what you said, Jules. I don't have anything more to add because well, you were I think, beautifully spoke. I think we're gonna, we would have had an issue if you you just, <laughs> just disagreed <laughs> we, with it. We do joke around <laughs> about fighting on air, but there are some there are some things where we would probably would fight if we had differing opinions. Um, Correct. But there you go, our first time in person mm-hmm. and our first joint egg and egg and boss of the week because the other one didn't find one. It's almost like we prepared for this. I actually don't mind being in person. This is kind of nice. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like it. Now that we've got the setup, right? Yeah, that's no, good. All yeah. right, does that do, do us? I think that does us. We've, we've spoken for a long time. Okay, guys, wrap it up. Well worth it. Well, well worth, worth it, though. Well Luke spoke. It. Great speaker, actually, Luke. Yeah. Like he just, he just uh, I, I can't do it. And I'm going to stop the sentence because it's a bit ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Trying to say how well someone speaks and I can't speak on half the episodes. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um Reminder next week, Barks. Yeah, we've yeah. got the big episode that big we episode. promised this week. But uh, what is it? So let's remind us. So you'll be looking at exclusively, exclusively ultimate frisbee content. Yeah, and trying to find three great examples to talk about, and um, maybe even a, a producer. Yeah, don't have to interview them because I think it's going to be hard. But bit full on. Yeah, at least call them out so we can talk about their work. And I'm going to be going into the world of lacrosse. Yes. So we chose a. Interesting sport each to talk about and you've got lacrosse and I sent you, have you looked at that content creator I sent Absolutely you? Absolutely not. He is, I think his name's Tyler something. He produces some high quality shit and I love that it's for lacrosse. So high quality shit. Next week and we've got to do it all in um, American, An American accent. American accent. <laughs> all right, next week be there. Can't wait. Thank you everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Let, let us know. Find it on the socials. Uh, YouTube, you'll be able to see some high quality footage of our faces. Hi, Mum. All right. So that does it. I'm on. (laughs) No. All right. Thank you. Tune in next week. Bye. Bye.